Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and the generous gifts of our listeners to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already partner with Fighting for the Faith, visit our website at fightingforthefaith.com and click on one of our friendly yellow buttons. One says join our crew, the other says donate. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. If you want to specify the amount, you click on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your support. We cannot do what we are doing here without it. And now, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Fade. Wednesday, May 28th, 2014. Yeah, now I know it's a short week, but today is our light episode. And I want to start preparing you for what's coming. Now, you all know I'm moving to North Dakota. And, um, yeah, next week starts what I would consider a spotty... Um, schedule, followed by a little bit of a, a week you know, a week or so off to move the station, and then we'll be back with a little bit of a spotty record for the remainder of June. Yeah, thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There's no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We do the job of, you know, actually taking a look at what God's Word says in context so that you can rightly understand what God's Word is saying, find out what God really wills for you, and find out what the real good news is so that you can actually, you know, have your your life and your doctrine and all of that together in you know in sync with what God's word says as opposed to what it doesn't say or what people are trying to make it say uh, who are popular pastors preachers teachers and authors and conference speakers you get what i'm saying so uh, once a week here at Fighting for the Faith, we do a light episode. That means it's not a, a, a fluffy topic, but it's a singular topic, and I usually hand the microphone over to somebody else who knows what they're doing. We're going to do that today here in a second. But again, I, I want to begin the process of preparing you for the month of June here at Fighting for the Faith. This is a big month because um, my family, we're, we're literally in boxes now, and uh, we are just a little over a week away from our uh, from actually pulling up stakes and putting everything into a moving van and moving to North Dakota. Now I'm going to be pastoring uh, in Oslo, Minnesota, which is across the Red River, but we're we're actually going to be living in North Dakota itself in Grand Forks. So you know, just so you know, that's coming. So the move means that in the month of June. Our programming schedule, our, our, my ability to do programs is going to be a little bit spotty, uh, partly because of the move, partly because of, uh, of other uh, responsibilities that I have. I'm going to be speaking at Reformation Montana, and then the uh, AALC has its uh, several, you know, every few years they have, uh, you know, a convention where they pick their officers and things like that and, and do business, and so I actually have to attend that in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and uh, and so uh, just I just want to say this: the month of June 
is going to be hit and miss, um, and it's going to start the hitting and missing beginning next week. So, yeah, I just want to prepare you for that. So be advised that's what's coming. Uh, today, like I said, we're going to be listening to uh, the next lecture in the series from Pastor Ron Hodel on the birth, uh, book of First Corinthians. In fact, why don't we get right to it? Here's Pastor Ron Hodel. All right, we um, are at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 13, but to get us to verse 13, we need to take a look at 12, which we reviewed a little bit last week, so I'll just cover it very briefly here. Paul asks some rather rhetorical questions. He says, is Christ divided? And uh, the, the, the implied answer there is no. Uh, then he says, was Paul crucified for you? And of course, the implied answer there is no. And he said, were you baptized into the name or in the name of Paul? And the answer is no. And Paul uses the Paul group as an example. It's like Paul is saying that even the group that you would think that I would be in favor of, the group named after me, um, it's a problem. Uh, it's divisive, and Christ isn't divided, and so neither should his church be divided. Um, and his intend, he, he's intending to, uh, to focus the whole group back on Christ, which is where their unity is. Uh, Paul does desire unity for this congregation. He, he, it's not, and it's not unity just based on can't we all just get along. Um, uh, can't we all just agree to disagree? That's not the unity he's talking about. He's talking about um, a unity that's based on Christ. And by based on Christ, I mean a unity that's based on orthodox theology. It's a unity that is based on what he taught them when he was with them in the past. Um, It's something that they had moved away from, and Paul is trying to get them to return to it. And uh, to return to it means to return to Christ. Um, so it was Christ who was, of course, crucified for them. It was Christ into whose name they were baptized. Um, what Christ did on the cross has been av- made available to them in and through their holy baptisms. Salvation completely depends on Christ, on what he did. And so Paul's saying, how absurd if you uh, idolize me or anybody else um, as if their salvation depends on On me, because it doesn't. It depends on Paul. Verse 13. Verse 13 reads, um, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and, and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Okay, that phrase, um, baptized in the name of Paul, or baptized into the name of Paul. Uh, what's he getting at there? What's, what's he mean by that? Today, uh, this is kind of taking us to, to baptism and the formula for baptism. Today, uh, the church follows the, the formula in, in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, uh, we baptize in the name of the Trinity in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus, and, and we, we follow Jesus' command there in Matthew, go and go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Um, but as you read through Scripture, you find that there are other formulas that come out as well. Uh, for instance, in Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 38, uh, it says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the Holy Spirit. Um, And then 
were you baptized into Paul or in Paul? Um, and of course, the inference there is, you know, into, into, uh, into Christ. And so the question has to arise, is there a problem or how do we, how do we reconcile these two things? And the answer is there's not a difference here. Um, these aren't two different baptisms. Baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and baptism in the name of Jesus and they are different things. Um, they're, they're saying the same thing. They're bestowing the same gifts. What, when Peter says, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus, he's simply making a distinction. Um, he's distinguishing between all of the other baptisms that were going on. You see, John the Baptist wasn't the only one out baptizing people in the Jordan. There were other sects who were out there baptizing. There were Jews, Jewish groups who were out there baptizing. And when Peter says baptized in in the name of Jesus, he's referring to Christian baptism in in the name of the Holy Trinity. So when Peter says be baptized in in the name of Jesus Christ, he's saying, folks, Jesus is our entry point into all of this. Not John the Baptist, not anybody else, um, but only Jesus. Uh, And so what Paul's doing here is he is appealing to the very foundation of the Christian faith. Okay? The very foundation of the faith of the uh, the, the Corinthians. The Corinthians were baptized into the name of Jesus. And they're calling on Jesus' name. Those things are their, what shall we say, they are their defining identity. Uh, Their baptism into Christ, their calling upon Christ is the basis of their unity. So Paul's always bringing them back to Christ. Um, Now, the Trinitarian baptismal language uh, ends up prevailing uh, in the church um, because, first, Jesus commanded it. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, baptize in or into the, in, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, and that's a very important thing because the, the word baptized into the name, the, word, the, the, the Greek word for name there is in the singular. Baptized in the name, singular, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you, right there you start to see there's, there's uh, three in one. Um, so uh, it prevails because of that. It, it makes a statement. And it also more fully explains who this God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, into whose name we are baptized. Now, you could say baptized in the name of Jesus, or you could say uh, it could also be translated baptized into the name, into the name of. Um, and so what does it mean to be baptized into the name of of someone. Um, in one sense, if you're baptized into the name of Jesus, um, in a sense, you are made a part of that person. Now, when Paul says, uh, were you baptized into Paul? Well, um, how could we be <laughs> become a part of Paul? Uh, baptized into the name of someone, I guess you could say it makes you a follower of that person, Right? And we're, we're, we're baptized Christians and we follow Christ. Um, it, it makes you a possession of that person. Now, we don't like to think of ourselves as possessions because um, slavery is not a real popular thing and that kind of language 
very quickly is is off the table. But if you are baptized into the name of Jesus, uh, that means he has marked you as his. Right? He's marked you as his. Remember the story, uh, uh, they come to Jesus uh, and they ask, Teacher, um, they, they say, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully and do not care about anyone's position, uh, opinion because you are not swayed by appearances. Okay, they're setting Jesus up. And so they say, Tell us what you think. Uh, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And... Um, uh, Jesus says, well, let's see. He said, um, does anybody have a coin, one of Caesar's coins in your pocket? And they reach into their pocket and they pull out a coin, which they probably shouldn't have had with them anyway. Um, and uh, he says, whose picture's on the coin? And they take a look and Caesar's picture is on the coin. And so he says, well, if it's got his picture on it, it must be his. So render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. It's got his picture on it. Give it back to him. Um, and render to God the things that are God's. Well, what has God's picture or what has God's image on it? Or better, what, who has God's image imprinted or stamped on us? On, I just gave it away, us. <laughs> yeah, it's us. It's those who are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Um, he's marked us. Uh, we use those words in the baptismal liturgy, don't we? Receive the sign of the Holy Cross, both upon your forehead and above your heart, to mark you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. Caesar gets his things. Christ gets his things. Um, You become Christ's property. Christ's doulos, the Greek word for slave or servant in Christ with Jesus as your Lord, Jesus as your master. But there's more to it than that. Um, A little bit later on in chapter 10 of of 1 Corinthians, Paul is going to say that the Israelites were baptized into Moses. This is chapter 10, uh, the first couple verses. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, what he doesn't mean, he doesn't mean that the Israelites became incorporated into Moses. He doesn't mean that the Israelites became the property of Moses. Uh, Rather, he's saying that the Israelites were made to share in the same destiny as Moses. Um, Moses, if you will, personifies the people of Israel. It's almost as if Moses is the priest who represents the people to to God. And so um, when Moses goes up onto Mount Sinai, it's not just Moses. He's embodying all of Israel going up onto Mount Sinai. When God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses... He's not just giving them to Moses. He's giving them to all of Israel. It's all of Israel who receives the commandments. And when Paul says that Moses, that, that the Israelites were baptized into Moses, he's saying that Israel was pledged to the same fate as Moses. Okay? Now, think about then what it means to be baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. 
you share the same fate as Jesus. You're identified with him. You're in him. Um, you, the whole Romans chapter 6 comes to mind. You are baptized into him. You die with him. You are raised with him. You are with him. You are in him. You are together with him. Okay? So being baptized into the name of Jesus means more than just you're a follower. You are now share the same fate. Jesus connects himself to you, and where he goes, you go. All right? He goes to death. You go down into death. We die to ourselves daily as Christians uh, for the sake of one another, and we die physically as well. But just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too are raised to new life in the waters of holy baptism, raised to a new life as, as God's people, and even on the last day, raised in our bodies uh, with Christ forever. So Paul says, um, Paul says in verse, uh, he says, uh, were you baptized in the name of Paul? Verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and, and Gaius, um, so that none of you may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. All right. So whether it was Paul's choice or whether it was God's design, Paul, quite obviously here, he didn't baptize a lot of people. Um, uh, either God caused that to happen or um, God allowed that to happen so that no one would have opportunity to brag that they were baptized by Paul. All right? Um, uh, Paul did baptize some. He said, I baptized Crispus and, and Gaius. Uh, Crispus was the synagogue official there in, 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 uh, in Corinth. He was the... Uh, the uh, the ruler of the synagogue, actually. Uh, he and his entire household believed in God, uh, Acts chapter 8 tells us. And Paul probably didn't just baptize him. He probably baptized his entire family, right? And then Gaius might have been the man that Paul describes in, in Romans chapter 16. Gaius, uh, it is there said that uh, entertained or played host to Paul and to the whole church. Now, if you can play host to the whole church... Um, that probably means you've got a fairly large house. Uh, and he probably did. He probably was a fairly wealthy man who made money in Corinth from, from commerce. Corinth was a port city uh, and a lot of money to be made there. Uh, if, if Gaius is the same man who welcomed Paul into his home after Paul was driven from the synagogue, then in Acts chapter 18 we learn that his full name is Gaius Titus Justus. And also from Acts chapter 18, then we learn that his house was right next door to the synagogue. Okay, so starts to draw some pictures. You get kicked out of the synagogue, <laughs> you're invited next door. You can imagine the conversations that took place and maybe some of the yelling back and forth. Um, he baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you are baptized in my name. 
um, Paul entertains the idea that people might be boasting that they were baptized in his name. And you think, why? Um, it's true that, that there were some in Corinth who didn't like Paul at all. They didn't, they didn't uh, believe in his apostolic authority, uh, and so they didn't, they didn't trust him. But there were other people who were very impressed with St. Paul. And some of them were impressed because Paul, well, Paul did miracles. There were miracles that attended Paul's, Paul's preaching. And so they might have, you know, thought, well, Paul is, you know, somewhat kind of like a God figure. And there's an example of that in Acts chapter uh, 28. Uh, let me read that to you from Acts chapter 28. It says, after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold, and they wrecked their ship. Um, when Paul had gathered a bunch of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. So some people uh, had such admiration for St. Paul that they started to think of him as a God. Now, uh, of course, Paul was very quick uh, to, to put, this, put this down and say, no, 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 I'm not a God. And then he uses that opportunity to, to share the gospel. Uh, but uh, it, it seems that uh, some, of the, some of the people were very encouraged by St. Paul because of the miracles that attended his preaching. And so maybe they would want to say, well, I was baptized by Paul, the great miracle worker. Who were you baptized by? Ron Hodel? <laughs> What's he done? You know? Um, so... Uh, one way to keep people from boasting that they were baptized in his name was to simply, I don't baptize anybody. All right? Then nobody can say it. The only people that could come close to saying that would be Gaius and, and uh, Chris, uh, Crispus, but they weren't the type that would boast in that because they knew the difference between being baptized by someone and being baptized into someone. Uh, they knew the difference. And then finally, Paul recalls the family of Stephanus. Um, Stephanus, uh, his family uh, was uh, one of the first converts in, in Achaia. Uh, some think that Stephanus was in Athens when Paul was preaching in Athens and began his ministry there in, in Greece. And you kind of say, well, why would Paul forget his, you know, his first baptism? You know, I can remember my first funeral. It was 30-some years ago, um, and I can remember it. Um, how could Paul possibly forget his first baptism? And I think what's going on there is Paul, Paul is, is writing there in Ephesus, and he's thinking about people who are in Corinth who he baptized. 
and Gaius is in Corinth, and Crispus and his family is in Corinth, and he's thinking about all these people. Who else did I baptize in Corinth? And he can't, he's trying to think of anybody else. And and what, he, what, what happens is he doesn't think of the fact that Stephanus and his family, though he had baptized them, um, they were there with him in Ephesus. So he wasn't thinking about who's here with me in Ephesus that I baptized. He's thinking about who, who did he baptize there in, in, in Greece. And so that's probably why he uh, forgot the, the family of Stephanus. And then he kind of leaves the, uh, the uh, possibility open that he might have baptized others. He doesn't, doesn't quite remember off the top of his head. Uh, keeping tally was not a, uh, uh, an important thing to him. It wasn't very high on his agenda. Um, I take this as biblical support. And I'll stand by this. This is biblical support for pastors not having to keep very good records. <laughs> oh, Jim was here. Um, no. <laughs> um, beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. Verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Um, Paul tells us here his top priority uh, was not to baptize. And they kind of go, what? What? He tells us his top priority was to preach the gospel. To the Jews first, he tells us. He always started off in the synagogues. And then to the Gentiles, or basically to the non-Jews, um, after he had been given the left foot of fellowship out of the synagogue. Um, now, it kind of sounds odd that Paul didn't baptize. It kind of even sounds odd for him to say, God did not send me to baptize. Um, but then on the other hand, you know, Jesus didn't baptize either. Uh, from John chapter 4. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John... Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judah and departed again for Galilee. Paul was sent to preach. And the verb uh, to send kind of echoes the word for apostle, um, uh, sent one. And so after Paul preaches... What Paul does is he appoints pastors or elders. Same thing in scripture. Elder, pastor, the same thing. It's, a little, it's different in, in the way we work that terminology. But for Paul, it was, it was pastor, elders, the same thing. Um, and, and he started appointing pastors or elders in congregations as early as his first missionary journey. So this started very early. And the pastors uh, who were appointed by, by the apostles... Uh, in congregations that had been formed around Christ and his word, these pastors followed up with continued preaching and in administering the sacraments. Now, this doesn't devalue or depreciate the the sacraments. It doesn't devalue or depreciate uh, the Lord's Supper. It doesn't devaluate or depreciate baptism and all of the gifts that God gives in those blessed sacraments. Paul's simply saying that baptizing wasn't the chief part of the charge given to him when he was sent out to be an apostle. His job was to, in the words of First Officer Spock, to take the gospel where no one has preached it before. Okay. If you're not a Trekkie, then you didn't get it. All right. All right. 
Um, uh, and the fact that Paul did baptize, and he did, shows that preaching and baptism go together. It's just that his emphasis was on taking the gospel and getting it out. And probably the same could be said today. Um, pastors are not primarily dispensers of the sacraments. Um, the pastor's chief job is preaching and teaching. And people are drawn to good preaching, and good preaching draws people to the sacraments. That's why I, I would uh, submit to you that a good, a good sermon, especially a good Lutheran sermon, is always going to refer to the sacraments. Um, the, uh, it's the next logical step after hearing the word is to receive the sacraments. All right? um, you know where the church is, according to Augsburg, the Augsburg Confession, when the gospel is preached and people and and and, uh, and and the it's the right administration of the sacraments okay all right we're going to pause right there pay some bills if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you can do so my email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on facebook facebook.com forward slash pirate christian or follow me on twitter my name there at pirate christian Quick break when we come back, the balance of today's lecture uh, from the Epistle of 1 Corinthians with Pastor Ron Hodel. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. I don't know why we have to come to these small group sessions. They're just so boring. Hey, do you find that small groups just aren't that interesting or fun anymore? That's quite literally what I just said. Then we have the product just for you. New from Los Lobos Ministries is Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs. Well, what is it? Simple. Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs are an entire booklet loaded with fill-in-the-blank Bible passages. Aren't we supposed to read the scriptures the way they were originally written? None of you want to spice up your small group Bible studies. With Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs, you can make every passage be about you. Isn't scripture about Jesus? Only if you want it to be. In our postmodern age, it's stupid to think that such a thing as absolute truth actually exists. Every passage is open to interpretation. Read the example. But now that you have been set free from financial debt and have become warriors of God, the fruit you get leads to better sex and eternal life. For the wages of sin are smelly diapers, but the free gift of God is a really good tax return in Jesus Christ our Lord. That was absolutely heretical. Why would anyone butcher scripture like this? Because modern-day Christians like you don't endure sound doctrine. By popular demand, you've appointed leaders in the church who've given your itching ears what they want to hear and haven't looked back since. Ha! Suckers! 
This is just horrible. If you thought it couldn't get any worse, then you're just as foolish as Naval. We've already expanded the biblical Mad Lib franchise to include alternate Bible translations. That can't be good. You're right. It isn't. We now have biblical Mad Libs in The Voice, the NIV, the KJV, the NKJV, and for a limited time only, we have the Furtick Audaciously Revised Translation. Wait. Doesn't that last one spell? Yes, it does spell fun. Not just fun for you, but for the entire small group. We've even created a Biblical Mad Libs Junior Edition to get the kids twisting scripture from a young age. I would never buy this for my children. Lucky for you, you don't have to. We're handing out free copies to every youth group in the nation. Plus, we're also including a special copy of Elevation Church's The Code Coloring Book for a little extra heretical flavor. You're not going to get away with this. You can't stop us. We're already in control. Resistance is futile. Don't pay more for travel than you need to. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to tell you about Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Cheapo Air is a leading provider of airline tickets, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Cheapo Air has extensive partnerships with the top travel brands in the world. Now, whether you need to travel for business or for pleasure, Cheapo Air can help you save money. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, then click on the banner and book your low-cost travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. All right, we're back. Uh, warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith, good conscience becomes supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if your pastor doesn't engage in in-depth biblical preaching and teaching through different sections and books of God's Word. You get what I'm saying here. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world, and you can partner with us. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Let me thank you for your support. We cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, here is the balance of today's lecture on the Epistle of First Corinthians with Pastor Ron Hodel. Here we go. So Paul's job, as he was called by God to do, was to preach the gospel in areas where the name of Jesus was not known. And uh, most think that Paul made it all the way into Spain. All right. So as Paul's preaching the gospel, the local pastors who were appointed by Paul then continued the preaching of the word, and they also administered the sacraments. And the church formed. He says, but I 
my preaching, he says, my preaching is not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Um, Paul rather quickly adds that he doesn't preach with words of eloquent wisdom. Um, apparently that was not uh, typical of Paul's preaching. If you wanted eloquent preaching, you would go to Pastor Apollos. He was, he was a phenomenal wordsmith. But Pastor Paul wasn't quite so good at uh, getting the words out. He was unskilled in his speaking. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, um, he says for, for they say, this is uh, people talking about Paul, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. He's not known for his preaching. Um, uh, and then uh, the next chapter he says, Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. So he even admits that he's rather unskilled in, in, in speaking. Now he's not saying that it's wrong to preach eloquently. Um, but the danger is, well, I guess you could say pastors like to hear themselves talk. Uh, and uh, uh, sometimes pastors will pontificate about anything. Um, they've got opinions on everything. And uh, it's very easy for the focus then, if you're very eloquent and you want to pontificate on all kinds of things, it's very easy for the focus to turn from Christ to to yourself and to your eloquent preaching. And then is that, then the problem arises. So Paul's word to the preacher is don't rely on your wise words. Don't rely on your, you know, your, your um, clever crafting of words. Don't rely on your awesome ability to communicate with charm and eloquence. Um, rely on the word, the word of Christ. To the Romans, a little bit later on, Paul is going to write, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's not my eloquent preaching. It's not Pastor Rody's eloquent preaching. It's not any pastor's eloquent preaching. It's, it's the power is in the word of Christ. Um, but when he talks about this eloquent preaching here, he's not just talking about good speaking. He's contrasting the gospel with what, what he calls eloquent wisdom. Or later on in, in uh, Colossians, he calls it philosophy and empty deceit. And he's not getting down on philosophy per se. What he's, what he's talking about is philosophy that is in agreement with, as he said to the Colossians, the elemental spirits of the world, that the philosophy is in agreement with that, as opposed to a philosophy that is in agreement with Christ in whom all the fullness of deity dwells. Kind of pulling from Colossians there. He's rejecting that the idea of uh, uh, you know using eloquent words to 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 peddle thoughts that draw people away from Christ, Christ and His Church, um, and so you know if you think people, Paul's kind of saying if you think that people are converted because of your wordsmithing, if you think people are converted because you are. Uh, incredibly great with arguments. In one sense, 
that kind of empties the cross of its power. In fact, the cross's power is precisely in its weakness. Um, to take the weakness of the cross away is to take the power of the cross away. And then what happens is people aren't focused on the cross, they're focused on on the preacher. And that's the next thing that Paul's going to, to bring up. Um, next thing he's going to write about. Verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. If 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 17 describe the problem, it describes the divisions that are uh, apparent in the congregation, it describes the factionalism that's going on in the congregation, uh, it, it describes the putting people up on pedestals, like Paul and Apollos and Cephas, then verse 18 through chapter 2, verse 5, uh, is the solution. It's the answer. Um, and the answer is what we need to be centered around, and it's, and it's Christ uh, and it's the cross. So let me read um, 18, verse 18 through 2, 2, 5, because this is probably, um, that's probably the best uh, way to break this section up. I know we've got chap, you know, chapter two comes in there, and uh, the chapters and verses were put in later. This this whole se- this whole section here seems to be one united section. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, "I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart." Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The word of the cross is God's power for salvation. That could be considered the whole theme for this epistle. Um, The word of the cross. The word which is about the cross. We shouldn't just uh, look at this uh, too narrowly. It's, It's the... The narrative, it's the, the discourse, the speaking which focuses on the cross event. And it's not just the cross. Um, the cross isn't the only thing in the story, but it is the central thing in the story. It's the hinge part of the whole story. It's the story of salvation centered in the work of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And the cross is the center of it all. Um, Paul's saying, this is what defines us. Not, I follow Cephas, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, but rather what defines us is the word which is about the cross. Um, Of course, on the other hand, the world is much more enthusiastic about things that are more attractive and more successful than the cross. The world outside the church and even the, the world inside the church. How many churches don't even want to display crosses anymore? It's such a downer. And how often we hear to start, you know, I I think this has kind of died off. I don't know. Maybe I just don't listen anymore. Um, But uh, that we shouldn't be starting services off with confession absolution. How downer to take people there. You know, my goodness. Um, The world's not interested in that. Um, but, But that's where it's really all at, to take the work of Jesus on the cross, and apply it to your life today. Um, you, you look at look at churches, uh, you know, not just... Well, you just look at churches and you see impressive ministries. Um, but the problem with them, or many, is that they're not focused on the word which is about the cross. Sermons are about self-improvement, about improving your spirituality, about improving your lot in life, about improving your outlook on things. Um, and the word of the cross is the backstory. It's it's not the main story. You know. Um, uh, and then I'd have to say that those in those situations, everything is strongly dependent upon the pastor, the personality of the pastor, because that's where it's built on that pastor's crafty wordsmithing. Um, and then you see what happens when those pastors move on. Um, and they're always uh, oriented toward a theology of glory. Um, what do I mean by that? I, I, what I mean by that, if I can put that in simple words, is being able to see with your eyes the glory of the Lord in the here and now. All right? Um, uh, and against that, against that, Paul sets forth the theology of the cross over against a theology of glory, although he doesn't use that terminology. That's Luther's terminology. I uh, came up with it, uh, if you will, in, in the uh, Heidelberg Disp- Disputation uh, uh, in, in 1518. He said in Thesis 20, true theology and recognition of God are in the crucified Christ. If you want to find Jesus this side of his reappearing in glory, Luther contends in the next thesis, he says, 
God can only be found in suffering and in the cross. In other words, you're not going to find him in those things that the world sees as successful, in riches and numbers and victories and all that kind of thing. Um, you're going to find him in what the world considers uh, unsuccessful. Um, this unsuccessful event called the cross is indeed God's greatest success, but it's something the world would consider to be utter failure. And he's going to go on and talk about the, 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 the Jews and, and the Greeks. Um, the power of God is the power of God is visible in creation, but the only place you're going to find the graciousness of God are going to be in the things that the world considers to be weak, things that the world considers to be foolish, in the cross, in the word, in baptism, in the supper. Um, he says, to those who are perishing, and there's only two alternatives, being saved or perishing. Um, they're perishing because of their rejection of the cross. To those who are perishing, the word of the cross appears to be foolishness, um, folly. Uh, moria is the Greek. It's where we get the word moron. You've got to be a moron to believe this stuff. All right, that was, that's the Greek. Um, uh, one commentator wrote, to assert that God himself accepted death in the form of a crucified Jewish manual laborer from Galilee in order to break the power of death and bring salvation to all men could only seem folly and madness to men of ancient times, and I would add, and men of present day. In other words, no God worth his salt would do this. Um, but regardless of the fact that it appears to be foolish, um, uh, what, what's happening is those who reject this, this gospel, are condemning themselves to death. They are being destroyed, Paul says. They are being destroyed. On the other hand, those who are being saved, uh, to them, the word of the cross is the power of God. Um, and the word about the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Um, the discourse, the dialogue, the speaking, the utterance, the preaching, the word, the narrative that focuses on the cross is the power of God. He's not against eloquently talking about the cross. Um, rather, he's saying, no matter how well you dress the gospel up with eloquent words, it's always going to sound foolish to the world. Yeah. There's, there's no other way to say it. You can't, it's like, how, it's like a, a, a doctor who has to say, you have cancer. Well, there's no real easy way to say that that doesn't have all sorts of things come up in your mind. There's... There's no easy way to say it. And same with the cross. There's no easy way that, that, that you, can, you can talk about the gospel in such a way that it's not going to be considered foolishness to the world because the world marches to the beat of a different drummer. The world's always going to find the, the gospel unpalatable. Um, the world's always going to be attracted by, by things that look successful, by a, by a God who keeps score. I like a God who keeps score. Because then I could know where I stand with him, you know. 
And I can work my way in. And I know when I'm stepping out, you know. And when I'm, when I'm going to die, when I'm close to death, I'm going to work really hard to get back in. You know, I like a God. I like to know where I stand with this God. Um, but the world likes a God who looks powerful. You know, who can say when, when, uh, when sin is, is just rampant in the world, you know what? I've had it. I'm going to take my people. I'm going to put them in a boat. I'm going to flood the world. That will do it. That'll fix it. I'm going to show power, boy. You know, and his right arm of power, it doesn't work. Um, It's his left arm of the gospel that is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. Uh, And so in opposition to the world's lust for glamour, its lust for success, and that whole picture of image, Paul sets forth the theology of the cross. And it's it's this unglamorous word that is going to provide the Corinthians with a basis for overcoming their divisions. It's this unglorious word that is going to form the basis for restoring their fellowship with one another in Christ. And uh, in spite of all of the problems that Paul has with the Corinthians, one of the neat things that he does here in, 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 in 1 Corinthians is, he, is he, he includes these troubled, troublesome Corinthians. He includes them in those who are being saved. To us who are being saved, he says to them. Uh, he includes them in it. You know? He, he, he's trying to bring this congregation um, back to Christ in the gospel. And for Paul there, for us who are being saved, Paul can talk about salvation. He can talk about it as a past event. He can talk about it as a present event. He can talk about it as a future event. Um, our salvation is accomplished by the power of God, effective in the word of the cross, even though some consider it to be foolish. It's still the power of God. And then Paul quotes, what he does here, is he quotes in verse 19, he quotes from Isaiah, Isaiah 29. And he only, he only, takes, part of the, he only takes part of the quote. Um, uh, but he quotes from Isaiah, I think, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that, he knows Isaiah, and it came to mind. But actually, the reason he quotes from Isaiah is I think he's wanting to show that th- what, what I'm preaching now is part of the whole story. It's what Isaiah was talking about. Um, now, he doesn't quote the whole verse. He's expecting that that verse is going to come to you because you've studied Isaiah too. Uh, and so he's expecting that, that you're going to remember the rest of the verse. It's like Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And, you know, we could say, well, I, I know where he got that. He got that from Psalm 22. And what's the rest of the psalm say? It's, uh, it's this prayer that he's praying on the cross. He's praying the psalms. And so we need to, to get a good picture of what he's talking about there. Go back to Psalm 22 because that's what he's thinking about and that's what he's praying about. And, and uh, to, to work that whole thing into our, 
our, our study of what Jesus' Jesus's words on the cross. And so Paul here does the same thing. He quotes part of Isaiah. Uh, the, uh, what, he, what he says, what Isaiah says is, the Lord said, because this people... Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their heart is far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. And Paul just quotes, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Um, when he talks about wisdom here, he's not, um, when he talks about uh, destroying the wisdom of the wise, this isn't uh, a statement that Christianity is an unintellectual uh, or an anti-intellectual faith. Um, there is need for right knowledge. There is need for sound logic. There is need for a good, clear uh, philosophy. But those who are wise in the eyes of the world, whose hearts are far from God, God will reject. Um, in truth, what Paul is saying is they are hardly wise. Only those who trust the word of the cross are the, are the truly wise ones. So we will start with this uh, section next time. The Lord be with you. Thank you. So what do you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.